there's something that's really terrifying and powerful about like facing the black and white of what's true. That was Nicole Antoinette, and this is the Running On Own podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I want to know whether you have a blog, a website, or maybe your company does. Do you even like the way it looks? Well, if you're looking to take your online presence to the next level, have your site really match your personality and mission, look no further than Ethan Wright Magoon of Vent Forks. Ethan designs creative websites with a user-first design aesthetic. Ethan has worked with large educational institutions such as Syracuse University, Bates College, major companies in healthcare and politics, but Ethan also works with small Yogi Runner podcast hosts like myself. In fact, Ethan was the man behind Rue's recent redesign. Have you seen runningonome.com recently? Now I know I'm biased, but I totally love it. Ethan has used a progressive method of collaboration called appreciative inquiry, where he gets at the heart of the core values of the work I do and on my website could embody those. Ethan's creativity, passion for what he does, and extensive knowledge of both the technical and graphic design side is needed for website development and can take your site to the next level. If you want to get in touch with Ethan, visit bentforks.com, that's B-E-N-T-F-O-R-K-Z.com, and to see living proof of his work, check out runningonome.com. I feel really grateful to have worked with Ethan, and your business, your brand, your blog will be lucky too. Now, let's dive into our show. Hey friends, if this is your first time tuning into Running On Own, welcome, and if this is your 183rd time, welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and what do we do here on Running on Home? Well, every week, twice a week, actually, I bring you conversations that are beyond just the nuts and bolts of yoga and running. Here at Running on Home, we dive deep with wellness pioneers who explore the mind-body-spirit connection through different mediums. From actors, meditators, musicians, athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, some of the people I bring on for all of you, you may know and revere, and others are undiscovered gems. So I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for trusting me with your headspace and heart space every week. In the Real Talk Reflection series, Nicole and I come together once a month with the intention of having honest, real talk on what it means to reflect, review, and commit to goals and to commit to life. To understand the full arc of the conversations we're having, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to Real Talk Reflections episode 168 and 175 from January and February. Now, thank you so much for reaching out as I've started to share my journey on Rue through the Real Talk Reflections episode, and it's pretty scary for me to be on the other side of the mic and step out of the interviewer mode. But getting to share sacred sonic space with my friend and inspiration, Nicole Antoinette, is a real gift, and I hope these conversations can plant seeds in you and challenge you. In today's conversation, we look back on what we did, what we didn't do, what challenged us in February, and look ahead to this upcoming month, March, and share this month's commitments with all of you. This conversation is not a self-help step-by-step on how to set goals, but we dive deep into what it means to face change with truth and patience, and how we're putting this into practice in our own lives. At the end of the episode, we ask you, yes, you who's listening, a question, or should I say a challenge for March. We'd love to hear how it goes. Reach out to us via Twitter and let us know what changes you're building and breaking in your life. So let's dig in together, you guys, into today's Real Talk Reflections with myself and Nicole Antoinette. We're back. Again. What? Time three? Actually, time four, including our first podcast conversation. All right. I like it. I like it. I'm into it. This is like my favorite. I don't know. I'm like super into 
kind of the ritual of end of month reviews or end of year goal setting or like I like that a lot I have a big heart boner for that type of stuff and so it's really fun to have someone else to do it with to be like oh it's the end of the month Julia and I get to talk and like talk about all our feels about the month anyway so I'm grateful to be here because I think it's fun I'm super grateful to be here too. And I feel like meeting you and learning about your end of the month rituals and your review templates like has been really inspiring for me in my own life. And so it's, it's really cool. Thank you. Aw, look at our mutual love fest. Yeah. So you asked in your end of February review for your email list, which everyone can get on. It's the notes of grit and grace at NicoleAntoinette.com. Mm-hmm. So you asked, um, who are you grateful for this past month? So I want to ask that to you. Who are you grateful for in your life right now? Yeah. So, well, the actual question from the template was two things that you're grateful Shoot. from. No, but that's <laughs> like, but it could be people, already. right? It could be things. It could okay. be people. It's just, I try to keep it a little bit more broad just so that people can, you know, do what they want. Um, people that I'm grateful for. It's actually funny. I had a conversation with my husband last night where, cause he's not on my email list. He's very supportive of the work that I do, but like, it's not, he's not my audience, I guess I would say. And, um, so I, anytime I mention him, I'll forward it to him. Like, see, I love you in public. Like I'm talking about you. And I, I said to him, it's funny that at least the last couple months, like, I feel like I'm grateful for him on a day-to-day basis, but I don't know, either our relationship's getting stronger or, you know, I've been through some tough times, you know, between the back injury and having, you know, some anxiety and, you know, depression stuff come up this month. It's this end of month review is always such a good pause. And it reminds me that I'm so grateful for him, you know, with this specifically, you know, I had a three day period anxiety for me tends to be, it builds like it's a little bit. And then the next day it's more, and then it's more, you know, until it kind of hits like a crescendo breaking point. And, um, I had three or four days of that. And the last day it was just, it was so bad. I had so much anxiety and, you know, he works from home and has a little bit of job flexibility and was able to take a half day and spend the day with me and be supportive and just, you know, wonderful things that, you know, I'm really grateful that we have the ability, you know, to do that. And, Yeah. So I would say that's always my end of month is that I'm so grateful for him. I mean, we also have, I don't want to say a strange relationship, a unique relationship in that we spend so much time together. We both work from home. And so, you know, we have lunch together every single day and, you know, it's really important to us to have dinner together pretty much every night, unless it's like a, some kind of invitation that one of us doesn't want to turn down. Um, we really value, that time together. And, you know, sometimes when you spend so much time with someone, it's easy to take them for granted. So I think it's even more important to take that moment to be like, wow, thanks. You know, I'm really grateful. So yeah, that's, that's the person I'd say I'm most grateful for from February. What about you? Two people come to mind for me, um, this past month, and those would be my roommates. Um, their names are Mel and Jess and, I feel like they have seen me this past month in some pretty raw and vulnerable states that I'm not usually comfortable letting people see me in. Um, And they've just handled it with so much warmth and grace and support. And so I think kind of maybe both of us are touching upon the theme that, you know, like living with someone, I mean, I'm obviously not married to them. They're my roommates and they both have boyfriends who are awesome guys. It's just like living with people, you really get to see the full spectrum of the person, the good, the bad, the ugly. And it's kind of, it it really allows you to see, do you actually really like this person? And they've seen me in some pretty bad state of beings this past month and have still shown up. And it's, I'm just totally in awe of them. Yeah. The other thing 
that comes up for me around that or that I was thinking about a lot this month is like living with someone else, whatever that relationship is, it's a really good training ground for having to be more vocal about your needs and the type of support that you want. Sometimes I think, you know, in past relationships, I have gotten frustrated or felt frustrated that, you know, my partner or a close friend or you know, whoever the person on the other side of that relationship was, wasn't giving me what I need or supporting me in the way that I need. And I've kind of recently realized okay, well, they're not mind readers and everyone expresses love differently and everyone has different needs. So maybe they're treating me the way that they would want to be treated and they don't know that that's not what I need. Right. And so that kind of coming out of this month for me too, being like Paul's so wonderful and so supportive, but it's also not his responsibility to know exactly what I need. You know, that it's on me to be able to say, Hey, I'm having a lot of anxiety. I'm having a really tough time. Can you sit with me? Right. And obviously I'm so grateful that he, you know, responds and does that, but it's, it was kind of like a good, I don't know if learning lessons, the right phrase, but that's something that's been on my mind just in relationships that we just can't expect other people to know how to be like in relationships with us, you know? And so I think it's our responsibility to, to speak to that. Like, here's how you can support me because especially when you're going through a hard time, the people who love you, they want to be there for you. But sometimes you know, I've, I feel this come up, especially around like mental illness or depression or anytime people are struggling. Oftentimes we don't know how to be there for each other or we don't know what to say. And we're so afraid to say the wrong thing that then we don't say anything. And, you know, so even that extra layer of, hey, it would be great if you could just come over and watch TV with me or, do you know, just like speaking up a little bit, which is always difficult to do when you're having a hard time and don't want to feel like you're a burden. At least that's my experience. Um, I don't know. So I've been thinking about that a lot this month, too. Yeah, I think that's a great point of being able to vocalize like what you need from people in a way that honors both both you and them. And I also find that like when I live with two women who are so stable to me um, and who are chasing their dreams in a really healthy and balanced way, it almost gives me um, kind of like a framework to understand how I could do that too. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when you're living with people who inspire you, inspire you to be your best self, it's so cool. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think yeah, living with someone is it's like an interesting beast. <laughs> like my best friend Jamie and I lived together for a year, about a year um, in San Francisco back in 2010. And we always used to joke about how it was like marriage and training because <laughs> like those relationships, right? When you're living with someone else, especially if it's in a small space, you have to have the hard conversations. You know, you can't just let everything kind of get swept under the rug until it's this passive aggressive blow up. That's the kind of stuff that ruins relationships. And yeah, so I think, yeah, there's a lot to be learned from the people that you live with. So that's funny that that came up for both of us this month. <laughs> yeah. And I know something Paul and you have been doing um, is watching a certain TV show that you may be obsessed with right now. So oh what God. are you totally obsessed oh with right now, Nicole? So the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> Literally everyone is listening to this. If you're not watching the Great British Bake Off, you are missing out on something that's so wonderful. So, okay, I love baking. I have always loved baking. My, I don't even want to call it my past life, but I went down, as you and I have talked about a little bit, kind of the food path. I was a food studies major in college and um, used to teach cooking classes at Williams Sonoma, you know, worked there for some years, co owned a cookie shop, which is a whole other story. You interned for like a chocolatier. Like my life was desserts for a really long time, and that wound up changing a lot you know, when I became vegan and, you know, so there was definitely a transition point. And anyway, so I'm the long story short of that. 
as I'm finding a place for that type of stuff in my life again, um, which is wonderful. And a couple friends had said, you're going to love the Great British Bake Off. Like, just watch it. Just watch it. And so I asked Paul if he would watch one episode with me. And he and I usually do not have the same taste in TV shows. He likes to watch cartoons and I like to watch, you know, like dramatic Grey's Anatomy and like Heart of Dixie and CW shows and stuff like that. So he said, OK, I'll watch it with you. And it's it's basically like a competitive baking show but it's British. And so as opposed to any reality show in the US where like everyone's catty and horrible, like everyone's so sweet and nice and British and they like, oh my God, you like don't even win anything. It's not like you win money or like people are at like cutthroat competition. Like you just, if you win, you just win. And then you're like the best amateur baker that year. And then you go back to your life of being a bus driver or like being a police sergeant or I don't know. I don't know what it is. The combination of the things they bake are so much fun to watch. And I mean, it's exceptionally not vegan, right? Like so much butter, so much eggs, but whatever. It's so fun to watch. And we're so into it. Like we're, it's on Netflix and we're like deep in season five. Like this is every night. Like, is it time to watch Bake Off? Is it time to watch Bake Off? And uh, I don't know. So I'm, I'm real obsessed and have also been baking a lot on my own with that as an inspiration. What have you baked in the past week that was really good um, or a total flop? Uh, everything's been pretty good so far. Um, I'm so the thing for me with vegan baking, because I'm new to relatively new to vegan baking, I'm not really trying to be too creative. I'm more following what look to be good, solid recipes so I can learn like some of the fundamentals of, you know, using flax eggs instead of eggs or when that's appropriate or, you know, this substitution, um, because as it all kind of the knowledge that I had from before is not really applicable. So um, once I get some of the fundamentals down, it'll be more experimentation and kind of making up my own recipes. But I made, I sat down last weekend, I do kind of like a weekly goal thing too, or weekly intentions. And I sat down last weekend on Sunday night to be like, okay, what are my goals for this week? Like, what do I want to do? And legit, the only thing I could come up with was that I wanted to bake a huge chocolate cake. And I was like, okay, I guess that's my goal for this week. Like, it's good to have goals, guys. It's fine. So on Tuesday, like, that was what I did. I baked it after work. I baked a giant chocolate cake from the Oshi Glows cookbook, um, which is a website that I love. Uh, a friend of mine sent me the book and she has like a recipe for a double chocolate layer cake. And that was the first time I'd made a large vegan cake. I'd made cupcakes and other things. Um, and it was so good. It was so good. So basically we just like ate cake and watched bake off. It's been a real good week. <laughs> that sounds awesome. What are you totally obsessed with right now? I am totally obsessed with Nordic skiing or also known as cross country skiing. Um, in Bend, there is a lot of Nordic skiing and alpine skiing here. I mean, we're pretty lucky to have some incredible mountains and snow. And I um, was injured at the beginning of this month and unable to run for a little bit over two and a half weeks. And so I just had more time to go skiing because it didn't hurt to ski. And I did not grow up skiing at all. I was not one of those kids whose family went to the mountain every week. I'm from the city and that's not that was not my family's culture. We weren't very outdoorsy or athletic. And I just love it. I love being a beginner at something. I love um, that there's so much technique involved in Nordic skiing, both like flat, downhill, uphill. There's tons of different types of ways to be most efficient on your skis and to just also not have any expectation or attachment. I know both you and I as runners, like you can look at your watch and the minute per mile means something. But when you're actually Nordic skiing, the conditions dictate how fast you go. And as a beginner, I don't really care about how fast I go. 
I just care about having fun right now. Also, and you have nothing else to compare it to, right? It's not exactly. like this is my like skiing PR from last year or whatever. Yeah. yeah and I have yeah. no, and I have no attachment to any goals. It's just totally process oriented for me, which is really healthy and good for my ego to be more focused on the process in this. And I had like two nights ago, I went skiing, um, by myself and I just had like one of those experiences where I don't even think I've told you about this yet, but, um, like I really felt like I talked to mother nature. Okay. Say more about that. What do you mean? Yeah, it's been, I mean, we can get into this a little bit more, but this past month has definitely been a, a, um, a challenging month for me emotionally and just feeling like, uh, confused about my purpose here, my direction, um, you know, what, what's holding me in the earth here right now. Uh, and I just felt like really like mother nature was like, Hey, I'm here. Um, and it was almost a wordless experience that I'm having a hard time capturing to words, but it was this experience as if like mother nature is my mother. Mm, okay. Is that like, something you that, that type of feeling, have you ever experienced that through running or is this something that's new for you coming through Nordic skiing? I have experienced it in running, um, but not in a long time. And I think that's because running hasn't really felt good for a long time. Um, and I experienced it. I was looking at the mountain ranges. I was looking at, um, and it was at sunset and it was, I think it's, I've tried to understand for me why I love being in nature so much. And I think a large part of it is being able to commune with the divine for me. And that communication is not necessarily something I'm ready to put into words yet, but it's there, it's present. And it almost felt like, I don't know. I felt like so full, like I felt so nourished from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I don't think you're alone in feeling that way about nature, right? Like there's, there's something intangible that I would, I would also struggle to put into words that I, I don't know that I've had an experience that's been like that acute and profound, but I feel the same way about it's, it's, it's insane how it's such a quick disconnect from all the things that like I ruminate on in my regular life. You know, I could be at home obsessing about this or that or stressed out or worried. And then, you know, I go on this hike and like 10 minutes into it, I've forgotten about all of those things. And it's this very immersive experience that the thing that I get from it is, I'm reminded that I'm actually this like really small, tiny animal and everything's fine and that I'm not in charge and the sun's going to set like regardless of like what happens with my to-do list. And I am interested to try Nordic skiing. Um, I haven't done it yet, but I feel similarly when you kind of compared that versus running, that's how I feel with like hiking versus running where it's not, I'm not looking for a peak performance, if that makes sense. Like I've never found a relationship with running where like just the act of doing it is like this lovely, fulfilling thing, like it fills a different need for me. Like it's an arena in which to push myself and challenge myself that I love, but it's not that other stuff. And I have never found that it can be both. So I like having these other activities that are more like, let's go deep into nature and you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And I feel like that's a really good segue to kind of talk about your commitment for February, which was really connected to your running for you. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So when we talked last, um, I had injured my back, um, and didn't really know what it was or what was going on with that. And, you know, had just started physical therapy. Um, so definitely couldn't run. So I wound and my intention for February was to be patient with whatever that process of healing looked like, which is easier said than done for me. I'm like, not so great at patience. I'm really great at trying to control all the things, (laughs) not that that's effective, but anyway, um, 
so I'm working with a great physical therapist, uh, wound up being, uh, off of running for five weeks and, um, you know, the first couple of weeks were like definitely quite painful. And then, you know, luckily started to, to feel better. Um, and you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I know that all the way back, you know, on our very first episode, you know, we talked a lot about my relationship with running. So this has been like an interesting year for me just in trying to define what the role running has in my life and be okay with that role changing and being uncertain. It feels like there's been almost like a constant recalibration as like the universe has given you like all this like crazy shit. Yeah. Which I feel like a lot of times we have to keep learning the same lesson over and over. And like, for me, that lesson always comes down to control, right? Like I want to know, like, this is exactly what running is to me, but of course, right. God's like, that's cute that you think that like anything is just one thing. Right. So, you know, I just to kind of give some more context on this, my, obviously we talked about this, but for anyone who hasn't heard that episode, you know, I came to running as a complete beginner, having never done anything like even remotely physical and running was really my way to quit drinking. Like it served like a very clear purpose for me to basically switch addictions and to also switch identities publicly because at that, you know, I had been blogging for years and I had this very kind of public party girl persona. So for me to stop drinking, I was already losing friends because of that decision. And, you know, I, I wanted to create something different for myself publicly, right? So like I very publicly through writing and through social media kind of went in this other direction with running, which it was exactly what I needed it to be, right? Hey, proof that I can do hard things, you know, met other like-minded people and like saw that there was a world outside of just drinking all the time, um, which basically like filled its need until it didn't. And that was, you know, kind of right on the heels of when we had our conversation, whenever that was in August, you know, I wound up taking six months off of running last year, right after my four year soberversary, because I realized that I didn't need running in order to stay sober, which was felt like a huge realization for me. And then at that point I felt like running had no more purpose and I was not enjoying it at all. And I felt like I was doing it for all the wrong reasons, meaning doing it to be impressive, doing it to put stuff on social media. And I just wasn't really comfortable with my relationship with that. So I took six months off. And then as we talked about, kind of felt like the internal desire to run again and did started that, you know, kind of like late maybe mid fall. Um, and, but even with that, like, I still felt like I couldn't really get momentum on things. And I, the only way that I have known how to run is very publicly have a public goal, like post training, like post pictures of your training journal, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I went right back into that and that wasn't really working for me. And that's, you know, when we talked about that, I felt like I manifested this injury, you know, that it was like, okay, still something like doesn't really make sense. So Anyway, was patient, you know, with the recovery during the five weeks, I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, extreme end of the spectrum, hypothetically, what if you can never run again, which I didn't believe, but that I was like, honestly, I think that would be fine. And, um, you know, so I started thinking, I think that would be fine. And then I also started thinking, almost trying to convince myself that I am overrunning. Like I'm over this. I don't need, I don't need this. I don't want to do this anymore, which for me is a very like self-preservation-y, like I need to believe that I'm over it in case I can't have it, right? Um, And, you know, so then coming out of that, after five weeks, you know, when my physical therapist said, um, or after it was like four and a half weeks, he said, okay, next week, you know, we'll probably try running. And as soon as he said that, like 
I really wanted to do it. And I was like, oh, it's so funny. I just spent five weeks telling myself that I'm over it. And obviously I'm not over it, right? It's like those moments when you like have truth talk with yourself, like, no, you're not, you're not over this. And I wound up reaching out to um, an old coach and just asking what his advice would be in terms of, okay, I haven't run for five weeks. Like what's the best way to get back into this safely? And, you know, he gave me some great advice that was very conservative. And then I went and met with my physical therapist and he gave me advice that was a lot more aggressive. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is the advice I want. So that also can be a truth moment. If you're getting advice from multiple people, you know the advice you want to follow. Like, oh, I want this. Okay. And it was like, Anyway, so this is like an extremely long answer to your question, but so got cleared to run again. And this was the first week that I was running and the advice that he gave me, he was like, he wanted me to do one easy three mile run. And then he wanted me to do, we're doing a bunch of kind of base level fitness tests, functional movement, heart rate, that kind of stuff to see where I'm at. And so he wanted me to go to the track and basically do an easy warm up and then run a mile and a half, like kind of as hard as I felt like I could and tell him how long that mile and a half took, because that's the basis for, I don't know, whatever he's doing, I guess I'll find out on Monday, whatever this test is for. And I was shocked. I thought, I mean, I haven't run hard in like a year, basically, like I haven't been fit in a year. And it was this, I was so excited to do it. And it was so hard. Like, I, I, I thought I was going to die. I went to the track. First of all, I like, don't remember how to run hard. Running hard, like, not only is a physical thing, but it's, it's a mental thing. Mental. Like, I haven't been in, like, pain, that kind of, like, suffering by choice in a year, right? Like, you have to put yourself into a place to be, like, run as hard as you can, right? So I, like, ran this mile and a half, and, like, my internal dialogue the whole time was, like, what is this? What are we doing? Like, can I lay down? Am I going to die? And there were two, like, senior citizen women on their, like, walk around the outside of the track, and I'm thinking, I'm literally going to fall over and die and start puking. Can these women help me? Like, what what is going to happen? And it was different from what you described about the Mother Nature experience, but it was on that level of like there was some divine something out of this experience. And like the best thing, the best way that I can talk about it is there's something that's incredibly soul refreshing about making a really hard effort. That doesn't have to be running. It just like doing hard work and pushing yourself to what feel like at that moment, your limits, there's like a piece that I find that comes after that, which is a lot of what running is for me to like, when you come up against that question of like, who are you going to be in this moment when things are hard? And then when you can complete the six laps on the track, right? And like do it and actually feel like, okay, obviously this isn't the very fast, but it's as best as I can do right now. There's like a piece I think that comes from that. Um, Yeah, I love that. I think there's, to me, I'm hearing the word peace, but I'm also hearing like this almost purification that it's like this baptism or this total like clearing of energy to let this new fire into your heart. It's really cool. Yeah. And I felt, so I think that was good. And the one other thing that I'll say about running, um, right now is, or two things, I guess the first is that the other thing this experience gave me was for the last, you know, again, I haven't really been fit in a year. Like I raced last March and then, you know, basically kind of like stopped doing everything. I've spent the last year saying like very vague statements around that. Like, Oh, I'm so not fit. Like I'm so not where I used to be or sure I can go running, but like it's nowhere near as, but that's all kind of vague. And there's something that's really terrifying and powerful about like facing the, the, like the black and white of what's true. Like this is similar to what I experienced when I graduated college and I had a lot of student loan debt. And there were months where I was just like, I don't even want to open my account and see this, that I'm $50,000 in debt. Like, I don't even want to look at that. Right. So I would just not 
open the thing and like to have it just set to pay the minimum bill. And I like couldn't have told you how much debt I was in, but not knowing the truth doesn't change that the truth is the truth. Right. And so there's like an fessing up and an owning up process of being like, okay, it's exactly this dollar amount. That's what I have to pay off. And that's for me, like for better or worse, like the time that I ran a mile and a half on Thursday, that's the time that I can run a mile and a half right now. So I feel like it gets me out of that murky place of like, I'm not fit. I don't and be like, all right, this is where I'm at. Like, so it's at least like an actual, like firm starting ground that like two months from now, if I run a mile and a half as fast as I can, like, is it faster than that time? Like there's, I don't know, for me, I think that's what I needed was someone to give me an actual, like, full body wake up call, like this is where you are. And to then for me to feel the fire of like, that's not where I want to be, you know, and that kind of fuels wanting to work hard, I guess. Yeah. It's a very convoluted answer to your question. No, I love it. It's so exciting to me to get that kind of clarity of mind, body, spirit from an experience like that, to be like, this is where I'm at. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, cause that's where you're at. Like that's, we can not face what's true, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. Like mm. that's how fast I can run a mile and a half, whether I turned my watch on or not. Right. So I think there's, and it's very uncomfortable to have to like face yourself. It's the same thing, like in relationships that I've been in that weren't working, I can like close my eyes to that and try to pretend that the relationship is working, but it's not working. And I don't know. So that the other thing that came out of it for me was running right now is something that I want to keep to myself a little bit more. I mean, obviously I'm happy to talk about it and it will come up in writing, but I have no interest in, here's a picture of my training journal from the week. For whatever reason, I feel like I no longer have anything to prove to anyone with running, but I do feel like I have things that I want to prove to myself. Mm. And as far, like, obviously I can, I have specific goals and things like that, but the overarching goal that came out of this, which might sound weird, but is that I want to do something special in front of people that I love. Because like, if I look at the people who have been the most supportive for me in terms of quitting drinking and like changing my life, right. in the role that they've played my best friend, Jamie, my parents, um, you know, Paul, just like other people that on a day-to-day basis, see the work that it takes to get the best out of yourself with running that I would, I I'm finding myself drawn towards trying to do something that I've never done before. That would be at like the outer reaches of my limits almost not like it's hard not like in dedication to them or maybe like just I think it is I mean I I was in LA this past month and I got to see the Olympic trials on Saturday and then the LA marathon on Sunday both incredible experiences for totally different reasons but like there were so many people running those races and you could tell they weren't running it totally for themselves like they were running it like kind of in service of their family or what like the battles that they've gone through like the race and like perform I don't know if what you're saying is like a particular race or some kind of adventure or challenge you want to do but it's also like a celebration of who you are and the support in your community yeah yes I mean and I I mean this is the first that I've spoken about it so I don't feel like I have you know good articulation around it but everything that you're saying feels true like I think that there's something like on the surface how is running like in service to someone else but there is something I think that's really powerful for me as a spectator and maybe you can speak to if this is how you felt you know in that weekend in LA like watching people try to get the best out of themselves for I mean I mean and we're not even talking about people that are trying to make the Olympic team right so just like regular people not that they're not regular but you know what I mean who there's actually no benefit other than having gotten the best out of yourself like there's no prize money to be won there's no team to be made like this idea of like 
like trying to get the best out of yourself, trying to be like a winner, even if you can't be the winner. I'm very interested in that and watching other people do that is something that I feel like cracks me open. Oh my gosh. That, yeah. I mean, it totally cracks me open. Like I loved watching Olympic trials in the sense that I had a lot of friends and podcast interviewees who were running and it's, you know, a really exciting race as a running nerd. But I enjoyed the LA Marathon a lot more. I mean, I was out there, I was seeing the five and six hour marathoners finish and it cracked me open. I mean, I was brought to tears a couple of times to see people who, you know, running for them, like they have to fit it on top of the rest of their lives. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's similar to how, you know, Paul is focusing on cycling this year, but you know, he did triathlon the last couple of years and watching him race is like my favorite thing because when you see someone, especially if it's a person that you live with, like you see what they do. I mean, and especially with triathlon, he's training in three sports, has a full-time job. So is doing this at like four and five o'clock in the morning and is so disciplined and so dedicated, kind of like what you were saying about Mel and Jess. That- yeah. I mean, both of them, Mel and Jess are both professional steeplechasers for Wazelle. And I'm just so excited to get to watch them steeplechase this spring. Like I can't even <laughs> begin. To, oh yeah. Like to, yeah. because it's like every single day I see the work they put in. I mean, I'm not always at their practices, but every day I see them and I get to talk to them about their workouts and what were the highs and lows of it. And to get to be on that journey with someone and then to get to them watch them in that moment of like celebration and that expression of it. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about that a lot too. Um, obviously as a fellow Wazelle girl fan, um, I'm sure you saw Sarah, Sarah Mack when she, yeah. the, when she ran CIM and qualified for the trials marathon that, I don't know, you can link to this if other people haven't seen it, the photo, like someone took a photo of her, probably her husband or something That's when she crossed photos. it. And it's literally the best. Every single time I see that photo, I cry. It's, it's this, I'm, I'm almost going to cry thinking about it. And I don't even, I've never met her. Like I know her online, you know, but I've never met her, but there's just, it's like this raw emotion that you can tell that this is like the culmination of so many sacrifices that she's made so many dreams like so many things you didn't think could happen like oh my god something about that like I it's almost like I want to be able to give that to somebody else if that makes sense like that moment of like this person like worked their ass off and happened to have like all the events conspire at the right time like there's something I'm very very inspired by other people like doing the work And then obviously you can never predict what the result is going to be, but like, just like, even if that wouldn't have happened, she still did all of that work. And like, that to me is like, I don't know. I love that. So for you and kind of, you touched upon your sober versary, like, do you feel like you've had moments where you've been able to celebrate with family or friends? The fact that like you aren't drinking anymore. Cause to me, like that's, I mean, that's incredible to like overcome something like that. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, With Paul, yes. With anyone else, no. Because as I'm lucky and grateful that like my drinking didn't land me in jail or in rehab or in any of those like more, I think, classically thought of rock bottom type situations. So it's not like my family knew I had a problem or anything like that. Like it was it wasn't like that. So it wasn't something that they were or my friends really were really involved in, or I don't, no one else was worried about me. Or if they did, they never said anything. It was, it was more that I was worried about myself. 
And so when like people have expressed, you know, concern or seeing you at what they think is rock bottom, then I think there's more of like a celebration that can happen. I actually think that a lot of family and friends don't really understand. Um, but Paul, you know, because of our kind of relationship history, because that's what we met when we were both like drunken, self-destructive, crazy people. And then, you know, broke up for essentially four years and had both quit drinking during that time and, you know, came back together. So the fact that, and same thing for him, it's not like he was in rehab or, you know, something like that, you know, happened, obviously our drinking stories are a little bit different, but because we both knew each other then, and because we've both made the same life change, I think that we really honor that in each other because we know what it took to do that. And, you know, we're the person that we talk to when like, well, I've been thinking about drinking a lot lately, right. Or like those kind of moments. So like when we have our, you know, sober anniversaries or whatever, there's definitely something that's like celebratory in that. Um, but, but it's no. more intimate. It yeah. Sounds like. Which is fine. Like it's not, it's not like I'm looking for something from friends and family. Like it would feel artificial to me because it's, it just would, you know? So anyway, that was very, I want to hear about your stuff. Tell me about your, remind everyone of your February intention. Yeah. And talk me through how that played out for you. So my first February intention was to start to get more sleep. And I can say that I've been successful in that, which is awesome. Um, One of my friends recommended this sleep application that I have been using for the past month. And I definitely haven't gotten as much sleep as I would like. Like, I'm one of those people. I think everyone has their sweet spot. And I'm definitely, like, I'd say eight hours is my optimal. And I was looking today in preparation for our conversation. I was looking to look at, like, the trends of my sleep. Because it can tell you, like, when you went to sleep and all this stuff. And my I'd say my average is, like, seven, which is not, to me, great. Um, but better, which is exciting. What's um, the application in case anyone's interested? Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's called Sleep Tracker. But then I also have this other thing called the Rain, which I'm wearing right now, and it's a bracelet. And like a lot of people wear like Fitbits or those activity trackers, but the Rain's made by this company, Jaybird Sport. And I've also started to use the Rain this month, so I've kind of been using both of them in conjunction. And what's cool about the Rain is it tracks your heart rate variability data, which basically allows you to see like the fluctuations. Um, in your heart rate every day, which gives you information on like how tired and recovered you are. Um, and so interesting. So like for training, yeah. like if you know, if you're essentially like recovered enough to do whatever workout you were planning to do. Yeah. That's pretty brilliant actually. Totally. And the cool thing about the rain is like, if you use it enough, it'll also be able to be like, based on that data of how fatigued and recovered you are, it'll also then tell you like how many hours of sleep it thinks you need that night and when you should head to bed in order to do that. Um, And I don't, I have not followed that yet because life has been crazy and that's probably just an excuse right now. Um, But it's good. I just think when you're making a change, there's sometimes a phase, phases you have to go through. And one of them is like the research phase. And so that's kind of the phase I feel like I'm in right now in my life, just in total in general. And that also relates to like my second intention about self-talk is just, I'm just becoming more aware. Like you were speaking to like the truth and just seeing things in black and white. And in order to see things, you also just have to have the information. And so I'm excited about continuing to keep track of my sleep and 
maybe this time next month, like I'll be up to eight hours, which would be awesome. But I think that's in large part for me, it's about creating boundaries around work, which is the obstacle. Yeah. So I actually think that you just hit on something super important and insightful, this idea of the reality of the process of making change. And I think that like one of the biggest kind of cultural disservices that we do to each other is this idea of like, the clean sweep, the biggest loser, 30 days to this, you know, this whole new life in 10 days, or like this idea that changes this like instantaneous, you know, poof moment. Like this person just quit their job and traveled the world. Like I just quit drinking. Like that's not how change happens. It's like a much slower process with like two steps forward, you know, nine steps back or whatever. Obviously it looks different for different people, but this idea that it's not just, okay, well I decided I'm going to get more sleep. So all of a sudden like, yay me, nine hours a night. Like that's not, it takes time. Like it takes time to, and I think we often like don't allow that to be true. And so then when change doesn't happen super, super fast, we get frustrated and give up as opposed to like letting ourselves ease into the process or do an experiment or do, you know, anyway. So I I think that that's a really important point that you just mentioned. Thank you. And what I love about your approach with just kind of actually like using a monthly template and setting goals is like, in order for the change to be gradual and effective, I think you have to be in dialogue with yourself about it and writing it down or sharing it with someone and like having accountability, I think then allows it to start to manifest. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I also think for me, the thing that's really helpful is, um, setting myself periods of intentional experimentation. So like, it's not like I, okay. So for example, like when I decided to experiment with a vegan diet, like if I would have just said, okay, I'm going to eat this way until I die. Like that's way too overwhelming for me. I thought, okay, I set some boundaries around. I'm going to try this while I'm training for my first marathon. Right. So that was a 16 week time period. Or like, I like this idea of giving ourselves like, let's just see what happens this month. Right. Let's collect data on sleep this month. And then it doesn't have to be this, like I'm doing this now forever, automatically overnight. I don't know. (laughs) I get so frustrated when I hear stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think also being like a perfectionist, perfectionist, which I am, is that it's like, I want to get an A on my own assignment. And so it's learning how to be okay with like a B and just sitting with that is a really good thing for me to do. And I've also um, realized one of the reasons why I wasn't getting sleep enough sleep in addition to setting boundaries about work was, um, I've, I've shared with this listeners before, but I battled depression and, I was on a new medication that my psychiatrist gave me and I had I take two doses of the medication a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And the afternoon dose was making me really wired at night. And so I was able to stay up till midnight or beyond just working and not even feel tired at night, which after the kind of days I have, I usually feel tired at night. That's like normal. I, and I wasn't able to kind of unwind. And so I've actually gone off medication right now. Um, And I'm just kind of in a waiting period figuring out what I want to do. And I think my own self-talk has been a little bit like, you know, how can you be a yoga teacher and a proponent of holistic healing when you're on medication? Like, are those Mm. two things, um, can those two things coexist? And will the world judge me? Like, if I'm saying this right now, people will be like, oh my God, can't believe she's on medication. And just being like, well, that's, you know, that's my path right now. I was trying to figure out like, what, what are the tools and resources out there to help Yeah. I mean, there's so much that we could dig into around that. Like, I think that's also a very brave thing to say. And yeah, it's like this self or this like judgment on other people's toolboxes, right? That it's like a judgment of your own toolbox too. And that, but I, but what you just said is, are people going to, you know, judge that 
maybe that's just an outward manifestation of, are you really judging yourself? Right. <laughs> because a lot oh, of yeah. that, like I think is related to how, what we think, but we hold on to this thought of this is what it means to like live kind of a more holistic life. Right. Or, you know, acupuncture is fine, but surgery's not, or, you know, anything, anything like that. Right. Or it's, it's fine for me to have like, you know, these specific essential oils, herbal teas, but like, it's not fine for me to take an antidepressant. Right. And like, that's, I think very real, but also it's so interesting. Like, where does that come from? Where you, exactly. Where does that come from? And I think my path has shown me that like everyone has their own secret sauce of their own healing, you know, their own path and healing. And so it's like, if that involves medication for some people, beautiful. If it doesn't for others, beautiful. I also think, I mean, this might be like a little hippie juju, but I know you're good with that. Juju is uh, one of my nicknames. Really? That's what my mom calls okay. me. Well, so yeah, hippie juju for you. <laughs> that this idea, I mean, obviously, so using antidepressants as an example, that's there's obviously like a biological thing that's going on, right? That's working when you're taking them. But I wonder even if we have this belief of I shouldn't be on this, I shouldn't be taking this, does that make it less effective? I don't know. But like that kind of stuff, like... I don't like, what if, what if you just allowed it to be okay that whatever is going to help you is what you're going to do, right? Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. It's, but that's where it's also being in the research phase is like having to really stay awake to yourself to be like, do I notice a difference in my being from this week when I haven't been on medication versus the week before when I was on and staying so sensitive to those imbalances. And sometimes I'm guilty of like overthinking them instead of just like living in a space of neutrality. You're someone who I feel like, you oftentimes, we've talked about like when you're sad, you're just like, okay, I'm sad. I don't need to like label it. I don't need to be like beating myself up for it. It's just more of the space of like neutrality, which I think I can probably work on. Well, I mean, I'm like that except for when I'm not like that. <laughs> Anything else. So, oh, right. It's like I don't eat sugar except for when I eat so much sugar. So it's like the same. Except for when you make a double except layer chocolate cake. Except for when I cake. put my face into a double layer chocolate cake. Um, yeah, I mean, so that's, but also like that's a hard thing, a challenging thing to navigate of even like the body's physical reactions to going on and off medication, getting used to something and then going off of it and then how it changes your sleep and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, mean, it yeah, was... I commend you for just like being awake to that process. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's scary to share about. I mean, I've had, I shared with one of my yoga mentors about medication about a month ago and she was really like negative and really judgmental to me, honestly. And it really hurt um, because it's someone I really respect and look up to. And so there definitely are people who don't feel like medication is the way. And I don't think it is the way. I think it's one way. I mean, again, I think that's like thinking of it as a toolbox. I know um, someone writer who I love, I think we've talked about, um, Glennon Doyle Melton before from Monastery. She, um, you know, talks about this kind of stuff a lot, also struggles with depression, anxiety, you know, is on, is on medication and, um, you know, talks also about, you know, being Christian and that's, you know, a lot of the stuff that she talks about and, and she's shared stories about, you know, women who have told her that they've, you know, talked to their pastor or something, let's say about depression, right. And that they're, the advice they're given is very like, just pray more, right. Don't be on medication. And her whole thing, I mean, obviously this is not verbatim, but like what I took from it, her whole thing is like, okay, well, God made antidepressants too. So fuck off basically. Right. That there's like, I don't know, judgment at, I think in doing what you need to do to take care of yourself and anyone who doesn't agree, they don't have to take that. Like, you're not going to lay this yoga person down and, like, force antidepressants into her mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, I don't know. I think, yeah. 
again, a culture of like supporting each other's decisions or choices or anyone else's path. Yeah, completely. And I think in a world where um, we're exposed to each other's path in a really surface way through so much social media can just make it confusing about figuring out what's right for you. And I think you have had, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your shifting relationship to social media over like the past month even. Yeah, I love talking about social media, right? I want to talk about yours too. But um, social media. So I'm in a good place with social media right now. And by good, I mean it feels fun and I'm not constantly refreshing things like out of fear or boredom or jealousy or whatever. So that feels good. Um, and one of the ways that I got to that place last year, I wound up taking, um, kind of a social media sabbatical, taking some time off of it. Cause I wasn't thrilled with how I was using it. And like anything else, I mean, social media is just a tool. Like it just is what it is and it's how we use it that determines our relationship with it, right? Like there's nothing good or bad about Instagram. It's about who I am like in communication with Instagram, I guess, basically in relationship with Instagram. Um, and one of the things that I thought that I wanted coming off of that sabbatical was because I really enjoyed at that point or thought I enjoyed sharing my running journey and connecting about running on social media. And so I started an Instagram account that was just running specific, right? Sharing running things and training things. And I was only following runners. And a lot of people I was following were much faster and more accomplished runners than I was or than I am. And it honestly, I think it took me two weeks to realize that I was completely miserable and that there's a really fine line between inspiration and jealousy or wow. shame. And I was like, oh yeah, this, every time I open Instagram, I feel bad about myself because every single person that I'm following is running times that at the best of my ability, I could never run. Like that's just not in my physical makeup, I believe. Right. And that what it, the fact that that's the only thing that I was seeing and that all I was, I was putting out there was stuff that was running related. It made me more self-conscious about my running. And I think sometimes it's completely the opposite for people because sometimes that public accountability and support and being able to like share it, that's really helpful. That was really helpful for me when I first started, but I'm not there anymore. So I was like, okay, delete this, like not using this account anymore and going back to using like my happy place with social media is when it is for fun. It's not because I'm trying to make money off it. Like I'm aware that it's, I'm obviously doing like a personal brand type stuff. So of course there's some correlation, but I use it when I want to use it. I don't follow that many people. The people that I follow are either my actual real friends for whom I like, like going on and being like, dude, your cat's adorable. Right. Or the couple of people who it's maybe they are really fast runners or, you know, really wonderful bakers or backpackers or whatever, but their stuff for whatever reason for me is uplifting, you know, it's not, and the, these other people that were sparking jealousy in me, it's not that they were putting out anything that was bad. It's how I was, it was triggering something in me. And like, I think sometimes we give ourselves too hard of a time about, I shouldn't feel jealous. I should be more spiritually evolved than this. I should be able to see this and have it not trigger something for me when actually, I don't know, like if, how do I explain this? Like if, you're sitting there and like you have a safety pin and you're poking yourself with a safety pin and it hurts and you're bleeding. Stop poking yourself with a safety pin. You don't need to like transcend above the pain of the safety pin. Maybe there's like an argument to be made for that in like a spiritual way. I don't know. But for me, I was like, oh, I can just leave the room, so to speak, like social media wise. Like I can just not engage in this. Like we have the power to just not follow people that don't make us feel good. That's it. The end. You don't have to follow them. So that for me has been like a kind of coming home into social media being fun. I love that. I love that you can just see again, like your truth, like kind of the black and white of it, which you've spoken to is just being like, these people don't, 
inspire me in the right ways. They stir up shit that it doesn't need to be stirred up. And so I'm not going to be along, go along with their journey. Right. And, and those people, people are very inspirational to others. They have huge audiences and people, okay, that's fine. Like everyone has to find the like mentors or in like inspirations that speak to them personally. And it's, if someone's triggering something in you, maybe that is a a clue to something that you want to delve deeper into. That's definitely been the case for me sometimes, but I'd say 98% of the time it's, I don't know, this person doesn't make me feel good. Right. It's like, okay, well, I wouldn't like invite a bunch of people over to my house that make me feel bad. So why do I have to like invite them into my social media house? It's the same thing. But anyway, so what's been going on with you with social media in February or lately? Yeah. I don't know if I talked about this last month, but I deleted my personal Facebook account in December when I took a month long hiatus from social media. And that has just been like one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Why? It's just time that I am reclaiming. I'm reclaiming time that was not spent in a way that was constructive to me. Um, I feel like in my life with running on Ohm uh, in the podcast, like running on Ohm, of course, I'm the facilitator of it, but it's not necessarily like my brand. It's just about Julie Hanlon. Like I get to have incredible, honest conversations and bring the amazing work of others to light. And I didn't feel like I wanted to have a personal Facebook anymore for the people in my life who are important to me. I'll talk to them. I'll connect with them hopefully face-to-face or in another way. And that um, I just kind of wanted my online work to be much more focused on running on home, not about my personal life. And that's not how I wanted to, my relationships with people, I don't want them to be based on online. Hmm. So that's been really, really awesome not to have a Facebook for myself. Um, Have you found um, that there has been any negative consequence or any sacrifice that has kind of come along with making that decision? Straight up, no. I love it. Like, I literally don't think there's nothing I miss about having my own Facebook. Like, because it just means less messages from people that I don't really care about. And I know that sounds like pretty harsh, but it's like, if someone matters to me, they'll be a part of my life. And Facebook was just, my net was way too wide. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. And that's, again, there's nothing good or bad about Facebook, right? It's all about how you use it. So for you being able to identify, this is not bringing anything good into my life. And just taking away time from the things that do matter. Mm-hmm. So that's been really good. And then I think my other like conscious shift in the past couple of months with social media has been anytime I go on Twitter, Instagram, um, I always reply back to people in those moments. Because I'm sometimes I'll like go on Instagram, for example, and you'll have like five different comments on this post. And instead of putting it off till later and being like, oh, I'll return to it. And then in my mind, it becomes something I'm stressing out about. Another thing to do, another thing on the to-do list. Like if I'm choosing to go on social media, that means I'm choosing to be in dialogue with the world. And thus I will respond then and there, or I will like then and there. Like it's not like I'm going on it kind of anonymously. As like a voyeur kind of passive situation. Exactly, exactly. Like it has to be an active, intentional thing. And so then to me, that means that I only go on maybe like three times a day or two times a day. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. That's very similar to my relationship with email. That it used to be like, I, I took email off my phone, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And that so for me sounds like what Facebook was for you. That was like, a, because what I would do is I was very, very rarely responding to anything on my phone, just because I prefer to type on my laptop or type on an actual keyboard. And unless it was a really short thing or something that was super, super urgent, which let's be honest, never really happens. I'm not like saving lives over email. Um, so when I, I was, I realized the only thing I'm doing on my phone is reading them all. And then they're in my brain and then I'm stressed out about it. And they're taking up space. Taking up space in my brain. But then 
I have to reread them all when I'm gonna respond to them. So for me, I was just like, no, like this is going off my phone. So like when I'm opening email, it's not just to read email. Like if I read an email, I will respond to it right then, unless there's something that needs to be done, like an extra step that needs to be taken that I can't respond right then. But yeah, there's something about having that, like the point of email is conversation. The point of social media is conversation for the most part, I would say. So I love what you shared about that. Thank you. Yeah, I love the idea of like mind space and that like our creative space, our spiritual space, all those, that kind of energy, like to be so deliberate about how you use that in your life. And that social media can be something that takes up space that should not be space that it should take up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm. I think that because social media is such kind of an inherent part of our culture, and it's such a big part of a lot of people's work at this point, and also friendships, right? It's like it has its like hooks into a lot of different things. I think there's a lot of value in a very frequent check-in with yourself about your relationship with it. And again, with the control, like part of wanting to take a sabbatical for me was I wanted to get to this like very ironclad, you know, black and white. I'm either using this or I'm not using this. This is the only type of thing I'm going to post on this. Like I really want to have, like, there's a part of me that just wants to, and that was why the running related Instagram felt at that point, like it like soothed that need was, okay, this is all this is. All I'm doing is posting running things. And I thought that that was going to make me feel good. And it doesn't, but the, this constant check-in, like, I don't know that I'm ever going to have a, these are my exact boundaries around social media. Cause they will change as I change and as my work totally. changes and as you know, whatever. So just that, does this feel good to me right now? And not, I have to overhaul everything, but what's like one small thing that I could do to make this feel like 2% better. Right. Like just like that change that you made. And I've been thinking about that since you first shared that with me, what, like a week ago, every time I'm in uh, logging into social media too, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to talk to people. So like that definitely had an effect on me. You sharing that. And I'm sure other people hearing it too. Like it's so different than just refresh, refresh. Like I'm on here for whatever reason, like, cause I'm procrastinating or scared or bored or whatever. It's like, Oh wait, this, I can actually talk to people. <laughs> you like forget sometimes that that's what social media is about. Totally. You know? So I yeah. love that. And being aware of kind of your change in relationship to it. Like I noticed also with myself in the past 12 months that I don't really, um, I, I don't have the desire to capture my life every day in the way that I used to. I, I mean, I started, I think I've told you, like I started in fifth grade, fell in love with photography. We had a dark room in my basement. My dad's a photographer, not professional, just loves photography. And I grew up taking photos of my friends. I have hard drives that have like hundreds of thousands of photos of my entire like middle school, high school, the whole thing was captured. And it was before like I even really was into social media. So photography for me has been an expression of just like capturing the incredible people in my life um, and the things we do together. But I now I'm in a place where like, I don't really feel like I want to capture my life every day. Like, I just want to live my life. I want to be in my life. Like I was in LA uh, two weekends ago and I had the opportunity to spend the day at um, Rich Roll and Julie Pyatt, who've both been on my podcast. And Rich has a pretty awesome podcast called the Rich Roll Podcast. (laughs) And like, I spent the entire day at their house and it was such a beautiful house. And it was so cool to kind of get to meet their family and their kids. And you know, part of me is like, oh, like, should I capture this? Because I'm sure like the running on home community would be interested to see that like I was at their house. But then I was just like, no, like, I just want to be at their house in the day and just chill. Like, I don't want my life to be about capturing my life. I want to live my life. 
Yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. No, I love that. I, lo- I mean, and you can hear like the conviction and energy like around that in your voice. And just to kind of touch on what you said about, you know, going to Rich and Julie's house. I, I think about that a lot too, when I am sharing, cause it's so interesting to have this conversation with you because we have very different intentions. Cause I do like the kind of real life in real time. That's like kind of what I'm all about. But like the, the thing that I try to be very cautious about is why am I sharing this? Right. So like I could, obviously I've never met Rich and Julie. I've never been to their house, but I could imagine that if I were in that situation, a part of wanting to share it would be very ego-based. Like, look what I'm doing, that I'm with these like super awesome, well-known people and I'm at their house, right? That doesn't like make me feel so proud to say that, but I think that's a very oh, common sure. thing. Of, like, look who I met, look what I'm doing, right? And I've, and I've been there and I've done that and I do that sometimes. Of and that's, but, and again, it's not categorically good or bad, but it's, I feel better about social media when I'm sharing things for reasons that I'm proud of. Yes. Right. And so just that decision to be like, am I sharing this because this is a story that I want to tell or just because I think this photo is pretty, which is also fine, right? Like this is a lovely sunset. I want to share this picture. Like there's, that's fine. Or am I sharing this? Like, because I want people to think like I'm something else. Right. And like, I'm trying to be like a person, right. Capital P like that doesn't. So being really clear on the intention for me. Right. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with, you know, let's, I like, let's say I like meet someone that's like my idol or whatever, that there's nothing wrong with posting a picture with those people. It's all about like why, if it's just genuinely like, oh my God, I'm so excited. This is so cool. Great. But it's the, like, I'm the only one who knows the difference in the intention between it. Like I went this fall, um, Elizabeth Gilbert came to Bend and did a talk in the evening, but during the day she did, um, like a smaller, I think 40 or 50 person writing and creativity workshop that I took and I made, it's obviously not the same thing as going to her house. Right. But I made that same choice of the only reason that I would be sharing this would be like, Oh my God, look at me. I'm like in a workshop with Elizabeth Gilbert. And would there have been other ways to share that? Yes. But I felt that that was where I was at. And so I didn't share it, you know? So it's just kind of that check-in of like, what, what am I trying to be here with this post? Right. And yeah, I think that that requires a constant checking in process. Yes. Amen, sister. I love it. So this month of March that is coming upon us, do you have an intention or commitment you want to own? Yes. So where I'm at with running is that I'm at the point where, of course, I have like the fantasies, right? Like the things you think about like on runs of like, wouldn't it be so great to do this or run this time or whatever? That's fine for those to be like daydreams, but I am not committing to anything. I'm it's, it's way too soon to say, this is the date that I'm going to start this 12 week training plan to hit this goal. Right? Like we talked about how my original goal for the year was to run a sub six minute mile, which believe me, I still totally want to do, but it's way too soon. Like I'm only going to get myself into potential frustration and heartbreak if I keep, okay, well today's the day I'm actually starting to train. Okay. Cause what if this process takes longer than I thought? So for me, my commitment, because before I share my commitment, just because I can't know exactly, okay, I'm training for this race that's on this date or whatever, doesn't mean that I don't want to be doing something and doesn't mean that I don't want to be intentional around it. So for me, the commitment is to do one thing every day that will make me physically stronger and more mentally resilient because I feel like I'm in a very foundation building stage. Like I haven't been fit in a year. That's a long time. And part of what was coming up for me before I did this fitness test, you know, this puke inducing mile and a half on Thursday was 
this story that I tell myself about how long it's going to take to be as fit as I used to be and then fitter than that to like meet my goals, right? Oh my God, what if it takes six months? What if it takes a year? What if it takes more than that? And finally I was like, Nicole, the time is going to pass anyway. Like it's going to be six months from now, whether I'm working hard or not, right? Like it's not like those six months or that year is not going to pass. So like I might as well just be doing the work, right? And so for me being in this place of like, I'm trying to build a really strong foundation and, you know, I'm grateful to be working with a physical therapist who's helping me identify like potential imbalances and weaknesses and things that might have led to the injury. Um, so it's just really like doing one thing every single day. I, our mutual friend, Daniel said something to me about a month and a half ago, um, that really stuck with me. We were talking about running and he said that like his kind of philosophy around goal setting was like basically doing the really hard work like day to day, but letting goals come to you kind of like in their own shape and their own time. And I think it was just like the right time for me to hear that. But this idea of, instead of I'm going to try to run this time on June 5th or, you know, whatever, just if I do the work every day, like let the goals that I want come to me. And, um, so we'll see, but yeah, doing my commitment is to do one thing kind of intentionally, whether that's you know, physical PT exercises or, you know, running or whatever, something that I feel like is making me physically stronger and more mentally resilient. That's awesome. I'm excited to see kind of where, where you'll be at with a month for the, with that. Is there anything when you say mentally resilient, like has meditation ever come across your mind as something that you would do to be more mentally resilient? Or if listeners are listening, like what would be something you you'd say they could do to become more mentally resilient? Um, or is, so, are they not separate? Okay. I mean, so again, I think people, everyone's different, but, um, I have been experimenting with meditation in February. That was one of the things that I was doing, um, which I've always had a complicated relationship. I've never found a meditation practice that's worked for me. I'll say that. And the thing that did work in February was taking off all of the, like letting go of what I think meditation has to be. Well, you have to be sitting up. You're, you know, you have to be this, your feet have to be on the ground. Your feet have to not be on the ground. You have to be on a cushion. You have to use a mantra. You have to focus on your breath. You shouldn't be using a mantra like blah, blah, blah. And I was finally like, all right, enough with all that noise. It's like, I'm going to, and this was like when my back was still really bad. So I couldn't sit up without pain. So I, when I got up in the morning, you know, when I woke up, I would set my timer, like just like my timer on my phone for five minutes and like be laying down and just do, you know, like have just focus on my breath for five minutes. And I was like, this is what meditation looks like for me right now. So that's been helpful to kind of remove that. Um, but when I think about mental resilience, for me, it's two things. It's one, doing things when I'm not in the mood to do them. So like separating action out from motivation, right? Like I don't have to be in the mood to do my PT exercises in order to do them. I think that's something that gets in our way a lot is this idea of like, well, I'm like waiting to be motivated or I don't want to, like, it's totally fine that you don't want to. Like I work with, you know, beginning runners. Um, and that comes up a lot, you know, like I, well, I didn't want to get out of bed and I don't, well, that's totally fine. I don't want to get out of bed either. Bed's awesome. Like I would so much rather be watching the great British bake off and like eating cake laying down. Like that sounds great but you don't have to be in the mood for, to do something in order to do it. So when I'm practicing that on like a daily basis, um, I find that helps build mental resilience. And then the other thing is doing really hard things. So like that workout or like having an element of training to the best of my current like physical ability, like at least something every week that like feels scary, 
Like, I don't know that I can do this thing. I, oh my God, running fast uphill is like, I want to die. Right. So like something where I'm going to be put in that moment of, I want to quit and I want to stop. And I giving like giving myself frequent opportunities to not stop when I want to stop. So whatever that, I mean, I don't know what that looks like for other people. For me, it's usually like in, but even with writing, right? Like I'm not in the mood to write. That's totally fine. You don't have to be in the mood. You can still write even if you're not in the mood, right? Or like there's this thing that I want to write about, but it feels hard or like emotionally sticky. Okay, so go there. And so those are really the two things for me for mental resilience, which is linked into physical stuff too. But it's that giving yourself opportunities to be like, this is hard. Who are you going to be in the face of the fact that this is hard? You know? Rock on. Yeah. What about your March commitment or intention? My March commitment came to me two nights ago when I was washing the dishes. Um, I don't know why. I was just washing the dishes and I was like thinking about, okay, like what is something I want to add more into my life this March? And it again relates to sleep. And I want to start keeping a dream journal. And my goal is to try to do it every day until the next time we talk. Um, I'm someone who loves journaling at night. And sometimes I'll journal during the day. Um, When I lived in Ethiopia, because I had no one to talk, to speak English with, I journaled like three times a day (laughs) because I was so like alone and I had no one to kind of process things with, but I definitely don't journal that much. I journal once a day now, but I want to start writing a dream journal because people have always talked about the power of dreams and it's something I really believe in because I do have pretty uh, vivid dreams oftentimes, but there's for me that period, which I think a lot of people experience, like you have the vivid dream, but then you have to get out of bed and get on with the rest of your day and you don't actually kind of linger in it and explore it. So I'm super excited about this goal and challenge for myself. So, okay. So as I mean, I hardly ever remember my dreams or even like know that I dreamt when I woke up. So if this is a daily practice for you, what does that practice look like if you wake up and you felt like you had a dreamless sleep where there's nothing in your mind? Like then what does the practice look like? Yeah. I think that it's just, um, I think it's just journaling on your state of being then. Okay. Yes, because I think oftentimes, I haven't done this enough, but I think that even if you journal in your state of being, things starts to come up. And the more you do this, the more you work that muscle right after you wake up, the stronger it gets. Interesting. I wonder if it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy too of the more attention you pay to it in the morning, the more likely you then are to remember your dreams. Oh, I'm interested to hear about this, to hear how this goes. This is cool. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I also like the question that you asked yourself of what do I want to add to my life this month, because I think a lot of times when we think about like commitments or goals, this kind of stuff, sometimes it winds up being around, um, like deprivation or like, I need to stop doing this, or I should stop doing this, or I should do less of this as opposed to what do I want to add to my life? I like that to me, that's like a slight perspective difference, but like it feels different. Yeah. I think that I love that idea. In, in your, this past month, something that's been pretty exciting is your podcast, Real Talk Radio, season three was released. And one of my favorite parts of listening to the eight conversations is the community questions at the end. And one of the community questions you ask is, what's your guilty pleasure? And I know you don't love that turn of phrase, but thinking about something in your life that it's not like you're trying to take it away, but you're just enjoying the pleasure of it. What is that for you right now? Yeah. So just two things to kind of explain for people what the community questions are. So because of the way that I do my show, where instead of, you know, a weekly or a biweekly release of episodes, they're released as full eight episode seasons um, every other month at this point. Um, So they're kind of recorded in like a batch time period. And so the, uh, you know, the listeners 
submit questions that they want me to ask to every guest. So it's not like specific questions for this person. It's here's something I would like to hear about from a lot of different people. Um, and then I put together anywhere from like six to nine questions. And then those same for upcoming season four, which I just started recording yesterday. Very exciting. There's nine questions. So all eight guests will get those same nine questions. So it's kind of a neat way to hear like a wide range of answers to the same thing. So the guilty pleasure question, I love asking it, but like you said, I hate the reason I don't like the phrase guilty pleasure is because I don't think that we should feel guilt around pleasure. So I always have to like say that as a caveat, but I think we all know what the phrase guilty pleasure means, right? Um, guilty pleasure for me, um, watching something, whether that's like a documentary or a fun show or, you know, whatever while in the bathtub, I really like taking baths. Like I, this is my, the only thing that I don't love about the house where we live is I have this like dream fantasy in my head of having one of these like huge round, like claw foot baths, you know, where you can just basically like be in this bath, like your whole body is covered. This is my dream bathroom. Um, and yeah, so I really like taking hot, long baths while watching things. So I like set my laptop up, like basically like close the toilet lid and like you put your laptop on the toilet and watch. Um, I have a pro membership to, or a membership to flow track, you know, the site that covers, um, track races. Do I and know kind of, the site? I know you do, but no, I'm, I'm saying for kidding. other people, right? I'm of course. I'm just giving you Flow track, it's fine. And <laughs> but for anyone else, but in addition to like covering live events, they also have um, a whole series of like shows that they kind of produce on their own. So they will be short, like, you know, maybe 15 to 20 minutes, like per episode. And they'll have like two to three episodes per person, right? So like Carrie Goucher has a series and Shalane Flanagan has a series, you know, and Meb has a series. And so oftentimes I will be in the bath and I will just like watch these episodes and just like sob hysterically with all of my like intense running feels. Um, so I watched Meb's like three part series in the bath this oh. uh, like about a week ago and literally cried the whole time. Just like him winning Boston, like him that just me in the bath crying, like in my bubble bath. <laughs> my husband's like, what are you even doing? Have you seen, um, it's not on flow track. It's by a filmmaker and ultra runner named Billy Yang. And he made a movie on UTMB, which is the race in France or the Chamonix. And he just published it and it was following three, uh, trail athletes. One of them named David Laney, who I've had on the podcast. Have you seen it yet? I have not, but I'm happy to add it to my list. Anything with the good feels, man. (laughs) Next bath session for you and everyone should watch it. It's so stunning. And I'd love to have Billy on the podcast someday. Yeah. And if you want to watch things in the bath, it makes it so much better. So what's your guilty pleasure? Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it doesn't feel guilty, but I love reading inspiring quotes like every day. I probably um, I read inspiring quotes every day. Where do you like source them from? Uh, I well. Google images and like, I just, well, okay. The weird thing for me is so the past couple years I've fallen in love with quotes. I feel like they're one of the most tangible ways for me to get lit up. Like when I read a quote, it feels like sometimes someone saying something that I haven't been able to put into words or something like I need to hear. It's just like medicine for my soul. I know some people find quotes super corny and they don't resonate for them. But for me, they're just like such moments of, Yes. I mean, like totally words yes. have power. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And shorter, shorter statements have a lot of power for me. Like quotes will be in my head when I'm out on a run, when I'm out on a ski, when I'm walking, like it'll be ringing in my head. So oftentimes when I put on Instagram, 
a picture of the outdoors with a quote, it's because that adventure, that was the quote that was in my head the entire adventure. Mm, I love that. Is there, are there any that are particularly like feeling like they're resonating with you right now? Like a quote or something that you want to share? Sure. Um, Okay, Shauna Nyquist, who is an amazing woman who's written a book called 365 Devotionals that everyone should check out. She has a quote that has probably been in my head the past month that like comes into my mind at some point every day. And it goes something like, um, now I'm getting nervous. <laughs> I'm forgetting. Um, there, there's a time for wild, okay. There's a time for wildness. There's a time for settling this is neither this is a time for becoming Mm, i like that i kind of butchered it but it's basically like this is a time for becoming like this is a time to step into your light which was my intention for this year was to be the light and so i find reading quotes just always brings me back to source and i i just absolutely like it just amazes me that there's so many incredible human beings who said so many beautiful things and that we can just almost they're almost like candy to me this is why i'm such an obsessive reader because the same thing, like words mean stuff, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, they yeah, speak yeah. To the soul. And there's something that's very, like when you're reading a book and it's like the one line that you like want to highlight, right? Like this person just like, like basically took these words like out of my soul. Like that yeah. is how I feel oftentimes when you read something that's just like, oh my God. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that too. And I started, when I started teaching yoga six years ago, I'd oftentimes share with my students at the end of class when they're getting up from final resting posture, a quote to kind of take with them off of the mat. And so I started this document on my computer that is over 200 pages long of inspiring quotes. That's amazing. And so I can oftentimes go into that document, put into the search category, like a couple keywords that I'm thinking, or maybe I really titted that today is the day I want to hear like an MLK quote. I like look in and I have like 10 MLK quotes on that document. So I'm a total nerd. (laughs) I think that's fun. I've never told anyone that. You're definitely going to get someone who's listening to this. who's like, Oh my God, please share that document with me. (laughs) It's top secret. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) That's nice. No, I like that. I like it. I'm into, I mean, I feel the same way about quotes and words, obviously. Yeah. So anything else we kind of, you want to bring to the surface or discuss before we sign off? Um, yeah. So one of the other, um, community questions that I like to ask, it's usually the last one that I ask is when you look ahead at the next couple of months and for us, we could just say like the next month, what do you feel most excited about? Yeah. Um, pretty clear to me. I'm going to be in Boulder for most of March and for my work. And I am just so excited to return there. It is an incredible place that I got to go to two summers ago. Um, as a camp counselor, I worked there for a couple weeks. And I'm going there for my work this month. And I am just so excited to get to play in the mountains and get to interview people for the podcast. Um, and I yeah, reconnect with some old friends. So that's pretty clear in my mind. That sounds fun. How about you? I'll miss you, but I'll miss you too, but you're going to be in LA. Yeah, that's true. Um, so what I'm most excited about for March, it's two things. Um, so because like I said, the nature of my podcast, it's very like on and off, right? So when I'm recording, it's like a very intense, like two week period of recording all the episodes and producing all the episodes and doing that. So that period has just started for producing season four, which will be out April 1st. Um, and I have some really wonderful guests lined up. Um, I'm always excited about kind of everyone that I have on. That's why I asked them on, but I'm particularly excited. Um, Dana from minimalist Baker, which is my go-to like 
favorite recipe blog. I'm obsessed with her, like huge, huge, huge fangirl. And that was one of my scary asks, like my challenge for myself in February was like, just ask the people that you want, right? What's the worst that can happen? They say no. And she said yes. And she seems really excited to be on the show. So I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so excited. So that's my real talk around that. So I'm very excited about the people that I'm interviewing um, for the podcast. And then, yeah, I'm taking a 10 day trip to California to um, the original purpose of the trip was to do, um, last March, I did these two races, the San Diego 5k and the Encinitas mile, which were, those were the races that I was like PR'd those races. That was my like peak fitness. Amazing. When I say I haven't been fit since last year, I basically haven't been fit since those races. And I had signed up to do them again, thinking that things would have gone differently with running. Um, this will be the least fit that I've ever raced in my life. I'm still going to do them because I have a couple of friends who also signed up to do those same races. And, um, I'm actually, at first I was really dreading it because I, when I race, I want to, I want to do well, right. Whatever that means in my own head. And when you race not fit, it's like a different experience, but the same way that I feel about the really hard mile and a half that I ran on in Thursday's workout. I feel like these races need to be on the schedule. And like, if they were just small local races here, I would have backed out of them. But the fact that there's people doing them and that I'm going to show up, it's, I'm looking at it not as a, a chance to be disappointed with like running a much slower time than I want, but I'm looking at it as like a really good opportunity for what we were talking about, about mental resilience. Like, okay, I'm going to like try as hard as I can. Like there will be that kind of like peace that comes after having tried really hard. And also I think not only the peace of having tried really hard, but sometimes I think it's good to get frustrated and angry. Like to, if I like do the best that I can in this race and my time is like so far off from what I want it to be. And I'm frustrated about that. That's fine. Like that's fuel for the fire. Like it's, I think good sometimes to be like, to use your anger for like, or whatever, obviously racing is like a small thing, but so I'm excited. And my parents live um, in Southern California too. So to get to see family and, you know, some best friends and have some serious sunshine and like warm weather. Um, so yeah, March is, I'm very excited for March. It'll be, I think a lovely trip, lovely cool. month. So last month we did something that was really fun is we left listeners with either two challenges or two questions that we'd love for them to step up in. Are any that are coming to your mind right now? Mm. Well, my mind is very much on now this series of community questions because we just talked about it. Um, the thing I like the most about these questions is that I didn't pick them. I mean, I picked them from a batch of ones. Um, and one of the questions that was submitted that I chose for season four is what's one habit that you want to break and one habit that you want to build? Mm. And um, the reason that I liked the phrasing of that question is similar to what we talked about, about the path of change. It's not what's one habit you are going to build. Cause it's not like you have to take action immediately, but it almost like encourages a check-in process of what's something that might feel fun to add to my life. And what's something maybe that's no longer serving me. doesn't mean you have to do anything about it, but just that like awareness. I don't know. That struck me as a good question. So if someone's looking for something that's kind of like an introspective question, like what's one thing that you would want to experiment with adding into your life and what's one thing that maybe isn't serving you and that you would want to experiment with letting go of and whether you actually do that is up to you. Um, but I, I, I don't know that's the question that I'm liking a lot right now. Yeah. I think those are, that's a question with kind of two questions in it. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I love it. Yay. Fun. 
Thank you for listening to the entire conversation. I know that these real talk reflection conversations are different than Rue's usual format, and I'm really grateful for you to join Nicole and I in our journey as we learn together from our commitments, our goals, our challenges. We'd love to know what's one habit you want to break and one habit you want to build during the month of March. Reach out to us via Twitter and let us know how you're putting these changes into practice in your life. Are you wanting to take your blog or website to the next level? Maybe you work for a company that needs a design overhaul. Well, today's podcast sponsor, Ethan Wright Magoon of Vent Forks, is just the person for you. Ethan designs creative websites with a user-first design aesthetic. He's worked with large educational institutions such as Syracuse University and Bates College, major companies in healthcare and politics, and was the man behind the recent Rue redesign. Now, have you seen runningonome.com recently? I know I'm totally biased, but I think it's really beautiful. And Ethan has had endless creativity, passion, and extensive knowledge on both the technical and graphic design areas that are essential for taking your online presence to the next level. If you want to get in touch with Ethan, visit bentforks.com. That's B-E-N-T-F-O-R-K-Z.com. And to see living proof of his work, check out runningonome.com. I feel so grateful to have worked with Ethan and your business, your brand, your blog will be lucky too. Before I sign off for today, I have two asks for all of you. First, is that when you're checking out Ethan's work on runningonome.com, sign up to be on the email list. This past week, I sent out my first email with some exclusive discounts and deals for the Rue listener community, and I'm hoping to be in touch with you guys more regularly via email about what I'm up to and some special offers. And now my second ask for all of you, that's going to take you less than five minutes, I promise, head to iTunes and leave a review of the Running on Ohm podcast. So why do I always ask you to leave a review? Well, because it helps improve Rue's visibility in the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find this podcast, more people can get plugged into these conversations, and I can continue to bring on the most incredible guests for all of you. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a rue-filled day.